Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and I don't know if you guys know this, but it's hard to make a podcast. You have to invite guests. You have to make a Google calendar. <laughs> Joining me today is Devinder Hardwar. More like Lee Pace's body, body, body. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. You stole mine, Dave. That is exactly what I was going to say. This uh, we know all podcasters are so original. Clearly. I shall murder you. <laughs> Well, I'm sorry about that. Sorry about that, Jeff. No, I I I should have known you were going to say that. (laughs) Well, those are of course very. uh, Those are all of course very vague and oblique references to the fact that today on the filmcast we're going to be reviewing Bodies, 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 a new A24 release that's out in theaters right now. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Support the podcast at patreon.com slash filmpodcast. And find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash slash filmcast. A couple of announcements before we get underway. Uh, we got some film news to discuss today. We got some what we've been watching to discuss today. And then our Bodies, Bodies, Bodies review. But uh, for the Filmcast After Dark, we got uh, a conversation about the rehearsal season one finale. Season one, episode six of the rehearsal, which just aired on HBO. Uh Somehow that show was renewed for season two, guys. <laughs> I don't know if you guys mean? saw this. I, I, don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the rehearsal season one was just a rehearsal for season two of the show. Uh, but we'll be discussing that as well as the Better Call Saul series finale. Devinger and I will be talking about Better Call Saul and how that show ended. So that's all in store for you in the After Dark at patreon.com slash film podcast, again, where you can sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive after darks. We also did recently launch on YouTube at youtube.com slash slash filmcast. And I want to give a big shout out to everyone who has decided to stop by our YouTube channel, to subscribe to our YouTube channel, watch our videos. Uh, I'm really happy with this launch. We've gotten thousands of views on these first few videos that we've published. And I'm psyched, man. I think there's a lot uh, to come in the future in terms of videos. And uh, a lot of people are going to discover us through youtube.com slash slash filmcast. I want to read some comments that have been posted this is, publicly. This is uh, the project that we've embarked on. Uh, we're calling Know Our Faces. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we won't exactly. stop until people understand what we look like. Yeah. Hashtag yes. Know Our Face. Uh, and actually, Jeff, the correct punctuation is no, comma, our faces, exclamation. <laughs> <laughs> no, money down. <laughs> Bo Dubs comments at youtube.com slash slash filmcast. I already knew all your faces before this, but there's something special about seeing all you guys discuss movies for the first time instead of just listening like the other hundreds of times. Also, Dave, you might not have known why you were choking up, uh, uh, but for us viewers, it was so obvious to see it was due to your overwhelming pride and admiration for what your friend accomplished. So beautiful to see you guys be supportive and genuinely happy for Dan's success that I was tearing up watching this as someone who watched every single episode of TRS and cried when it ended, end quote. So... There's someone who really loved TRS and, and was sad when it ended, Jeff Canada. Um, I think that is one of the signs of uh, of maturity, at least for me in my life, is getting to a place where I can honestly and legitimately be excited for my friends' failures. My, what? <laughs> successes. <laughs> what? Freudian my friends' successes. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I... I, uh, I before, you know, it would be a referendum on my own uh, standing or, or level of accomplishment. You know, it, when you're young, you're just you're comparing yourself to your peers constantly. At least I was. 
uh, and uh, finding, you know, that to be a uh, very, uh, you know, it can be, it can be frustrating. It can be debilitating. It can be, uh, uh, you can be hard on yourself. And I think as I got older and really genuinely realized that it's a joy to see my friends succeed. I, I, there's a, there's a piece in that there's a, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, it's a, it's a level of maturity and it's a level of, I think, um, you, you actually find happiness that way. And I, and I, uh, I hope that folks can find that in their lives too, because I think we all too often we measure ourselves by others and it's just not, not useful. Hmm. Well, Jeff, I hope to eventually get there one day. <laughs> but I'm uh, no. In, in all seriousness, we are all very thrilled for our our friend and colleague Dan Trachtenberg's success, and um, so grateful that he shared his time with us uh, last week. I don't know if you guys saw the uh, conversation was written up uh, at a bunch of different places. Um, our interview with Dan Trachtenberg uh, was written up at a bunch of different places. How did we um, do? What was the what was the the well, consensus. Uh, um, CBR, uh, CBR.com wrote a piece At about comic it. Comic book resources. Yeah. Comic book resources.com. Uh, they referred to us as the popular film industry podcast, The Filmcast. Hey, so, hey, take guys, it. we are a popular film industry podcast, The Filmcast. So, yeah. Uh, good for us. Uh, okay. Other comments. Uh, tech YouTuber writes Please, Dave, would you and your colleagues stop dumbing down the English language? By overusing the term incredible, as though it is synonymous with an enthusiastic exclamation of the word great. I love listening to you guys discuss things, but as reviewers and critics, you can't keep doing this. Why? Mm. Simply put, what word will you use when you actually do find something unbelievable? When you've already gutted the meaning as though you were just a group of <laughs> overexcited teenagers. The word incredible is supposed to be reserved for something special. Unicorn type moments. When all other words <laughs> fail to describe this kind of singular experience. An excellent example that comes to mind is when Jeff Kanata tried to express his unique reaction to the end of M. Night Shyamalan's Split. That mm -hmm. is an example of when that word can be used when nothing else comes close. As I recall, he didn't actually use that word. Please respond. You know what I think this, of this uh, this comment? Not incredible. Th mm. This is funny because th th if you take this, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, this is what people said about awesome. This this was the gripe about awesome becoming just, you know, mm -hmm. a, a, an equivalent of cool or, or good. Something Ninja Turtle said randomly. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. awesome. Awesome was supposed to be awe-inspiring and truly overwhelming. <laughs> And it's interesting that this person has decided incredible is, it, it fits yeah. that bill. I, I almost wonder if Dave, uh, did you write this uh, from another persona <laughs> or something? Because I, I remember just sending you a, a little bit of information from the uh, from the Merriam-Webster dictionary about the word literally, mm. and uh, language policing seems to be a, a popular pastime around these parts. So, mm -hmm, you know. mm -hmm. well, Actually, no, I, I feel not... like we deserve this now. Thanks. Shockingly, I did not write this one. I did not write this one. So, if you want to be uh, pedantic, shouldn't we only use in Incredible if it if it defies belief if we if it is not a credible That's idea Im, Im, impossible first definition Oxford definition impossible to believe impossible yeah. to believe yeah so like what what would I don't even know what would technically fall into that category for me to be honest yeah. uh, <laughs> the description of of why people did January sixth incredible yes um, <laughs> Top Gun Maverick being the number one movie of twenty twenty two incredible you know. Two things of equal magnitude we just discussed there. Just <laughs> so, 
Anyway, uh, and then finally, yeah. uh, Varakai0723 comments, Damn, who knew that Jeff was such a daddy? What? On the YouTube channel. Which I, I mean, think, I, don't know I what believe, that means. is a, I, uh, I believe is a sexual term, Jeff. So, a is it? sexual term. Yeah. I think that's right, what, yeah. Is it a positive you're, you're sexual a hot, term? Hot daddy. Yeah. Hot sound dad. positive. Okay. <laughs> I am, I am by every definition, we can refer to the previous emailer's uh, pedantry and say, I, by every definition, I am indeed a daddy. <laughs> because I that's mean, the way my, language uh, works, right? Like it's, it's, uh, there's no room for flourishes or anything. It's all literal. That's we're machines. <laughs> and that's yeah. how we understand language. Indeed. Well, anyway, those are all comments over on the YouTube channel. Be sure to, to join the fun folks at youtube.com slash slash filmcast where we're, we're posting video versions of all of our reviews For here sure. on the filmcast. We really Better appreciate Better than most the YouTube comments that, the comments I've seen. You know, like I, I encounter a lot of YouTube comments these days, folks. So these are actually pretty good. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. they're they're great comments. And uh we hope you'll join you'll be among them. So these are full full sentences, like thoughts. <laughs> there are thoughts involved. It's great. It's fantastic. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Uh, so let's talk about a few film news items uh, that happened recently. First of all, uh, want to mention that Wolfgang Peterson passed away. Man, uh, which is very sad. Uh, Wolfgang Peterson. You know, a lot of uh, modern day audiences may not be super familiar with the name, um, mm-hmm. but he was definitely a critical part of my cinematic upbringing. Um, yeah. Part of my childhood, he directed films like The Neverending Story, In the yep. Line of Fire, Outbreak. Um, Air Force One, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, uh, super talented director uh, and, and kind of like when I, when I think of like classic action filmmaking, like Wolfgang Peterson comes to mind, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but um, a, a classic action, but like better than the rest. Right. It was in the mold. <laughs> yeah. but It was like always elevated in some way. Like you talk to anybody of uh, of our generations, like the never ending story is once you see that movie for the first time, right? It is a hole in your heart. It is a deep memory, you know, and something you will you will refer back to. Like I saw that movie when I was like five or six and you just referenced it recently, Jeff, in, a, in mm-hmm. an episode, like that yeah. moment of, uh, of the horse dying, like so many yep. moments of that movie, like it is so deeply emotional. I would love to watch it with my daughter at some point. I don't know why I'm gonna put her through that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's hard. It is. It, it is definitely holds a huge place in my mind. It is. Mm-hmm. It, it made a massive footprint in my uh, developmental upbringing for fantasy storytelling and just that notion as a little kid that you could lock yourself in the attic with a with a great book and be yeah. enveloped yeah. by it. Uh, and 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 it was a fantasy story that didn't really feel like other fantasy stories at the time. It just it had mm-hmm. all this these quirks and strangeness to it. Um, and it's a, it's a beautiful, uh, a beautiful tale. It is a massive, massive influence on me, but you know, Air Force One, the perfect storm, uh, Poseidon, like these are these all are highlights mine. of the nineties, basically yeah. not Poseidon, Great. but, uh, perfect storm. I, before. Dude, the early, yeah. the early aughts, but Tro- yeah. Troy, another big one, right? Um, yeah, I don't but, remember. Troy was, I think people were like tired of like big epics after Troy, like they thought it was like gladiator again, but I've never actually seen that movie. So I'll probably go back and check it out. You know, point. here's a, I have never seen Troy either. Yeah. I, there was a director's cut that came out that I heard was actually pretty good. So I might go back and check that. Maybe out. in his honor, we will have to watch Troy, the director's mm. cut. Um, yeah. But I do yeah. want to shout out like enemy mine is a fantastic yeah. little, little science fiction movie. And um, 
he made some of the best dad movies like in the line of fire probably one of clint eastwood's best performances air force one completely ridiculous but so much fun because he like commits to the ridiculousness and i really like the perfect storm get the hell off my plane yeah uh, yeah, he says, get off my plate. You know, obviously never ending story, a huge influence in my childhood, but like in my adult life, mm-hmm. I, you know, I saw Air Force One in the theater and like, uh, that I feel like has been a cultural touchstone for me. You know, like there was so many great moments in that movie, Harrison Ford, Glenn Close, Gary <laughs> Oldman at the top of their game. I mean, it is a kind of like... Thematically, it's a kind of jingoistic, <laughs> inconsequential film. Nothing but like, about that movie makes sense, nor but, should but it. The, yeah. the execution is so good, and this combination uh-huh. of factors is so good. The cast was so good. Even like William H. Macy was so, you know, like so many things about that movie are so good that uh, it, it has kind of transcended its place as kind of a, uh, as kind of a B movie. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was, I, really uh, I was working it. at the yeah. movie theater when that came out. I saw it many times. Yeah. So I think I, I want to shout out uh, Perfect Storm is great. I just quickly so want to shout out Bill Gaberry's, uh He did a great farewell piece to Wolfgang Peterson on on Vulture. It's worth a watch because I think he deeply thinks about like how Wolfgang Peterson was different than the guys making schlocky action movies. Like you felt something with his movies, and certainly with the <laughs> Never Ending Story. I will never forget that movie. It's always going to be a part of me. Yeah. All right. Well. We are grateful for the work of Wolfgang Peterson, uh, RIP, but wanted to mention uh, that he has recently passed and uh, obviously huge influence on all of us. All right, here is a piece of film news that arose very recently. I don't know if you guys, we've been seeing tweets about it uh, mm-hmm. on uh, early Monday morning and basically movie pass coming back, guys. You guys saw this movie pass. I mean, we we knew movie pass was kind of coming back because uh, the original founder had like bought the license again. Right? Uh, Did you did you talk to him for that? Or uh, I I don't remember if you for this. I was I talked to him. Stacy Spikes is the original founder. I talked to him several years ago for that insane idea that he made of like watching trailers and earning, you know, the eye tracking tech that would like watch you as you watch trailers and it would earn you points to watch movies. So I, I haven't talked to him around this, but. It's interesting. I don't know if it's maybe too late for Movie Pass as it is, but uh, yeah, go go ahead. Yeah, well, so there there was a mass email sent out to all Movie Pass members, and um, it was from Stacy Spikes, and they basically said, "Hey, uh, it was Movie Pass was sold, but then like uh, I bought the company back and plan to relaunch it, uh, and that uh, they will begin launching the service beginning Labor Day, September fifth. But prior to that, they're opening up the wait waitlist to be able to join." Um, they'll open the waitlist this Thursday at 9 a.m. Eastern at moviepass.com. I do not endorse getting involved with MoviePass in any way, even as a member. But <laughs> it's your money, people, folks. Yeah, A lot of people in the audience seem to really like them, so I thought it was worth mentioning. And we will see if their, mm-hmm. I guess it's their third act, Yeah, uh, will turn out to be better than their first or second act. I, so. I mean, how, I, how I could forget it? in our conversations, uh, Dave, did you ever get into MoviePass like in its heyday? No, I didn't. Like, were you ever a big user? Like, I didn't because I did not trust. No, yeah, yeah, like yeah. when when they started, it was a very reasonable business model. I think it was like yes, yes, fifty yes. dollars a month for like unlimited movies or something. So that was like mm-hmm. that was a very reasonable amount of money to pay. Clunky and then they're like, yeah, yeah. And then they're like ten dollars a month for unlimited movies. And then it's like everyone was yeah. like, oh, this is great. I'm seeing tons of free movies. I'm like, it was it I, was a goddamn free for all. So like you know, yeah. when, I was, when like, I, was I don't York. trust a co- this company to manage this well, and they didn't. But again, um, so it's I, not my money. You know, like. Oh, you're going to give me unlimited tickets? 
you're, you're yeah, gonna but keep, but the, you're, you're, gonna you're trusting them with standards. your like you're yeah. trusting them with your like credit card information and stuff, and I'm just like, I yeah. don't. Anyway, yeah. but uh, yeah, I, do I know we know you're any really details about this new iteration? Do we know how, is it going to function in a similar way, or is it just we're using the name for something completely different? I think it will be a little bit different than it was before. Honestly, Jeff, I I don't know what it's going to be. <laughs> like, yeah, they were, they were, they were, they were talking about Web three. They were talking about virtual currency. You know, yeah. originally. Ooh, every movie ticket could be an NFT. Yes. Yeah. Then, you know, so it's like I honestly have no idea. Now he did. Stacy Spikes did link to a Time Magazine article about it, mm-hmm. uh, where it's the, the the headline is Movie Pass co founder Stacy Spikes is trying to stage a comeback and save movie theaters in the process. That's the headline of the article. Um, but uh, who knows? This article was published in mm-hmm. April of 2022. Who knows what's changed since then? Like, who I, knows what's changed, I don't, I, I will not make any predictions about what there was, the new movie There was the launch be. event earlier this year where yeah. um, he, everybody just clowned him. Right, like it was a bad, bad video launch. Don't, don't do that, folks. Uh, never, never open yourself to clowning. You know, like it was a big thing. I, I was just reminded though, he paid uh two hundred fifty thousand dollars for Movie Pass's assets, like in November. Guys, between us, if we were to just be crazy, like, we could have, we, we could have probably movie bought Movie Pass if we had like pulled all our money. Yeah, Man. that's why I don't go to you for investment advice, Devendra. <laughs> Imagine though we would control it. It'd be ours. <laughs> yeah, that would be something. Yeah, you know, two hundred fifty thousand dollars is like a song for something of Movie Pass's cultural relevance. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway. Oh man, uh, we you know what we should have done? we should just launched a Kickstarter and just like had the entire audience own it collectively. It's, like mm-hmm, we, the film mm-hmm. cast audience, mm-hmm, could have mm-hmm. just owned Movie Pass. Um. So here, here is from the Time Magazine. This is the Time Magazine story that Stacy Spikes himself linked to. Okay, um, if movie it says quote if Movie Pass can scale, it could play a major role in saving the movie going experience. But with yep. just months before launch, Movie Pass won't confirm whether Spikes has brokered any deals at all. Movie Pass can exist without theater buy-in, but it's unclear if it can thrive. Mm-hmm. Uh, to that end, Spikes will try to build a subscriber base quickly with several changes from its original incarnation, included t- including tiered pricing options and in-app credits that customers earn by watching ads. Um, they will be able to apply these credits toward tickets for friends and family members who don't subscribe to MoviePass, and eventually users will be able to trade credits via blockchain technology. Um, Spikes also floated the idea of implementing technology that could track the user's eye during an ad and yeah. pause if the ad if, uh, pause the ad if the user looked away or put the phone down. And that is the tech he was already developing for his other thing. So yeah. So will it have blockchain technology? Will it have credits it, you can trade? Who knows? Who knows? You don't yeah. need a blockchain just to have credits. Like it's. <laughs> Yeah, so dumb. Anyway, so, I don't know. If uh, if my plan to give every human being a massage can scale effectively. Boy, it can really change the world, guys. For sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. I'm just mm-hmm. never going to get over the fact that we we missed our chance, guys. Missed our chance we to own movie pass. Oh, well, Devendra, yeah. I have a feeling in two years from now, we're going to be able to buy it for like $50,000. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to put that out there. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the value of movie pass um, may not retain its, uh, its, uh, its state right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to mm-hmm. say something about the state of movies, though. Because mm-hmm. uh, I had an interesting experience this week. Uh, I went to see Bodies, Bodies, Bodies as per our requirement to review the movie. Yes, and, I'm um, with you. And I, uh, I went to my local, uh, my local AMC, 
uh, which because I have you know Stubbs A list. Mm-hmm. Which Went you owe Pass for? Like uh, we, we, we Friday, owe all these subscri- uh, We know Movie Pass for all of these subscription programs existing. So yeah, you know. right. That's true. With That's respect. actually very true. With respect, point. yes. Yeah, yeah. Tip of the hat to Movie Pass. Two hundred fifty k. Let's do it. Buy it. Anyway, I I went there uh, first showing on a Friday. I get to the to the AMC. Uh, I, I walk walk up to the door. There is a uh, piece of paper taped to the door mm-hmm. that says. Uh, Due to flooding, all first showings have been canceled. Huh. So I open the door and there's a person standing there. I'm like, so th- there's no there's no showing of anything. She's she's like, yeah, that uh, sorry. There's we're working with corporate to try to get people's refunds on on everything. I'm like, well, you're I'm like, I can A-list. swim. I'm okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm an A-list member. I I don't need to. It's whatever. It's fine. Um, but. <laughs> Did you pull out your A-list card, Jeff? You're like, yeah. I was like, I don't need, uh, excuse I don't need me, folks. Your petty refunds. I yes. can get, I can get tickets whenever I damn well your please. Your money is shit to me. Um. Anyway, go ahead. So anyway, so uh, but I'm. Uh, this is the only window that I have uh, available to see this film, and I have a deadline to see this film before we talk about this film, and I'm not going to be able to do it any other day. So I am now uh, very panicked that the you know I I arrive. When I go to an AMC movie, I specifically <laughs> arrive 20 to 15 after. minutes late. Yeah, yeah. Yes. 100%. Because of all the Michigas at the beginning, I yes. don't need to sit through any of that. So I'm already like, uh-oh, now what? So I look uh, to see another AMC theater in my area that is showing Bodies, Bodies, Bodies at, this, at a similar time. I find one that's only about five miles away. So I hop in my car and it's about to start. Like this showing is about to start. And I'm for once in my life, I go, Thank God there's 25 minutes of garbage before the actual feature uh-huh. because it's giving me this buffer to actually drive across town and get there. So I hop in my car, I haul ass to the other AMC. I, I, I get out as I'm driving at stoplights and stuff. I'm, I'm trying to like buy my ticket. Uh, won't let me. <laughs> you know why? The, the app says you already own a ticket. It's, it's true. For the same <laughs> you time. You should have canceled that ticket, Jeff. I know. And I'm like, I'm yes. an idiot. I, this is your hubris coming back and biting you in the ass. That's what yes. it is. So yeah. I, I, I pull up to the uh, <laughs> the second AMC theater. I walk up to the door there. Guess what, guys? Piece of paper taped to the door at that AMC that says, yeah. uh, that's at the box office that says <laughs> all ticket purchases will be uh, handled at the concession stand. That's normal these days. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So I uh-huh. walk in. Uh, there is a long ass line at the concession stand uh, with one person behind the, the thing just doing their best to like get people popcorn. They don't have like digital uh, digital little ticket thingies. No little little stands. What? No. I'm, I'm like tick tock tick tock right now. I've I've yeah. used up my buffer. Uh, the movie's about to start. I'm about to get screwed here. So what do I do? I, I hate to admit, I just fucking walked into the theater. Because there's wow. no other employees there. Wow. I just it's walked true. in the thinking, it, it, hey, is, it is absolute chaos right now. Like, you can just stroll in. Uh, Jeff, nobody's you are, checking you are confessing to a crime on this podcast right now, Jeff. Well, here's, no, here's Jeff my just thinking. transferred his A-list status That's from right. one theater to another. One theater to another. I had already purchased the ticket. The per- ticket was purchased. <laughs> it was just for the wrong theater. And I figured he, he anybody said, comes in. Oh, oh, sorry. I thought it was for this theater. That's all. Well, I walk in. I walk into the, the, the well, actually, it, it's even worse than that. <laughs> this movie theater, this AMC multiplex, has no labels for what movie is playing in which theater. Oh, man. 
So I, I, I see this guy with a, a, a broom and a, you know, a bucket walking down the hall. And I'm like, hey, what theater is Bodies, Bodies, Bodies playing in? And he goes, uh, let me check. He walks over to this piece of paper. He's like, theater five. I'm like, okay. So I just walk into theater five. Like, Wait a minute. Should be yeah. on your ticket, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He doesn't ask. He doesn't care. I walk into the movie theater. I'm the only one there. There's uh-huh. it is a uh-huh. completely empty movie theater. It has already started. Or the, you know, the, like, you know, um, Nicole Kidman's walking on the screen saying how it's a dream to be here. And so I- She gives I, you a j- high five. You're like, you made it, Jeff. Yeah. yeah. Just in time. I sit in, in, in any seat. I'm the only person there. <laughs> the reason I went through this long diatribe is to say, theater's got bigger problems. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if you guys, yeah, beyond that, like, yeah, staffing is really bad. Um, cleanup is bad because they don't have enough staffing. Like it's uh, it's rough, and uh, I think yeah. it's going to go right into our next uh, story, right? Indeed. Complete Let's take news. a quick break. Let's take a quick break. We'll thank a sponsor. We'll be right back with some more movie news. It is time to tell you about our sponsor, Backbone. What's holding you back from the ultimate gaming experience? Is it the hundreds of dollars it costs for your setup, or are you just busy? Are you on the go all the time with only minutes to spare? Well, now you can level up your game. With Backbone, the universal gaming essential that instantly enhances your gaming experience on mobile. And the coolest thing is that Backbone just released a PlayStation edition of their beloved Backbone 1. I just picked this up. It is super cool. The officially licensed controller for PlayStation was brought to life in collaboration with PlayStation's design team. The elegant colors, materials, and finishes are all inspired by the design of the PlayStation 5 DualSense controller, all the way down to the transparent face buttons and its visually distinctive floating appearance. It's awesome. Having used this thing, it's just cool to transform your phone, your iPhone, into a PlayStation controller. You just plug in your iPhone to the backbone, and you can enjoy console quality controls as you play console games via remote play or cloud streaming services and App Store games. This is basically the only way I play Diablo Immortal on mobile. It just works. So simple, so easy. Great way to carry around a console with you on the go. Check it out. Go to playbackbone.com slash filmcast now to order your backbone. For a limited time, you'll get free access to over 350 console games and perks. Backbone is now the official partner of Diablo Immortal. Hey, I didn't know that when I said this is the only way I play Diablo Immortal. That's cool. And not only is the game specifically optimized for Backbone, but you will also receive $10 of in-game perks. Find your next adventure at playbackbone.com slash filmcast. That's P-L-A-Y-B-A-C-K-B-O-N-E dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Speaking of things being rough for theaters, guys, I don't know if you heard, but it seems likely that Regal, the or the company Ugh. that owns Regal, is going to be filing for Chapter Eleven. I, I hope this um, is not like I hope this doesn't mean everything's going to close. But yeah, it doesn't yeah. necessarily mean that, right? Chapter no, Eleven it does. is a weird it, it, thing. It, it doesn't yeah. mean that you know it's for it's yeah. for uh, it's for it's a financial yes. uh, tool they can use to restructure and hopefully retrench. But the the they owner can of Regal close locations like they can yes. close things as they lay people off and stuff. So yeah. Yes. Um, Cineworld, who owns Regal Cinemas, is $4.8 billion in debt. They are the world's second biggest theater chain. 
And they're expected to file for bankruptcy. Um, they operate more than 9,000 screens in 751 locations around the world. Uh, and uh, to be honest, and they said, by the way, that, uh, quote, despite a gradual recovery of demand since reopening in April 2021, recent admission levels have been below expectations. These lower levels of admissions are due to a limited film slate that is anticipated to continue until November 2022 and are expected to negatively impact trading and the group's liquidity position in the near term, end quote. So uh, we have been uh, struggling is too strong of a word, but Mm -hmm, I will say mm -hmm. that. Uh, on the film cast, it is not at all obvious what our main review should be on a week-to-week basis. Oh, yeah. Um, because there's so little product out in theaters right now. There's so few movies uh, that are like th- that are big movies that a lot of people are going to be interested in. Very few of those are opening in theaters right now. The, probably the next one, I mean, 3,000 Years of Longing is a mo- big mm-hmm. movie for us, but I don't think it's going to do that well in box office. Probably the next event movie is going to be The Woman King, which doesn't come out until like mid-September. And so it is a drought of big movies right now. And of course, uh, big exhibitors like Regal are feeling it right now. Uh, I am really bummed at this news. I, yeah. I, like, I, I feel torn because... Here are the three emotions I feel, okay? Number one, as we've all pointed out, movie theaters have done virtually nothing to improve the movie theater experience uh, in the last, like, 10, 20 years. And that kind of sucks. Um, so, you know, on one hand, they're kind of reaping yeah. what they sow. They've on slowly, the other hand, like, made seats better. Like, I think that was a big upgrade, but it took over a decade, you know, yes, for good it took, seats it took to a get long in there. Time. Um, on the other hand, um, I feel like it's nice for AMC to have some competition. Absolutely. Uh, and w- if Regal goes under or whatever, like that's going to be really bad for yeah. movies. Um, my, my closest we, multiplex is a Regal. And if that went away, that would make life really hard for reviews and for other things. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, it, you know, competition is good for the industry and it, it would be bad if there was no Regal and just AMC because AMC would basically have an, a monopoly and and mm-hmm. you might like your local Regal like like Devendra and, you know, my I've always had pretty solid experiences at my local Regal as well, you know, so like um, it's going to be worse for everyone. It's going to be worse for the film industry. It's going to be worse for studios because there's going to be fewer theaters to play their movies in. It's going to yeah. be worse for people who love movies. Realistically, be- though, like they have they have so many stores already, like or so many uh, locations already and so many things in place. I- I'm sure like some some tech bro or somebody is just like, if you've, you've got all this and you can't make it work. You know, if uh, if you can't make money with Regal, you shouldn't be in the money making business. Right. Right. I guess <laughs> somebody would buy this and uh, and do something with it. The thing is, we don't know if it would get worse or better. You know, I'm thinking of like when Amazon bought Whole Foods. And the next week I went to Whole Foods and everybody looked miserable. Like it, it was, it was such a night and day difference. Mm-hmm. It was like, well, that's just like I've your never, opinion, man. But okay. Yeah. You know what? I've Devendra, never seen we, store workers look so miserable after <laughs> then after that acquisition, but go ahead. Jeff. We could have bought this, but we already spent our money on movie pass. Damn it. <laughs> I should, I wanted to point out. Mo- you could have had a perfectly good Regal and you wasted our money on movie pass. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, huge bummer i hope they're able to pull things out but like to, mm-hmm, to, to get mm-hmm. out of this situation but i i don't see a lot of room for hope personally like just just looking at the number like looking at the fact that there's just not that many movies coming out right now you know like yeah. it's it's rough out there so i'm also shocked that these theaters haven't done much more to uh 
to, I don't know, reorient themselves a little, you know, because there aren't as many releases. Like, I think AMC had some things to, like, you know, you could rent a theater for older Yeah, renting out theaters, b- b- making it an event space, you yeah, know, doing, yeah. like, esports. Like, what, you know, there's tons of ideas, but... Make it the, easy you know. for people to rent a theater because there are these giant screens, great sound systems that are just sitting there being unused. Like, if you can make that happen, then, I, I don't know, I feel like it, it would at least be done a lot better but that also involves a lot of licensing for older movies and stuff to like get get yeah. uh audience uh licensing for that yeah well it's okay guys it doesn't matter if there's not a lot of inventory because i have so much back catalog of hbo max stuff to watch <laughs> you'll never be bored yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well that brings us to our next topic uh about HBO Max, you know, you know, Davindra, during our conversation about HBO, uh, I'm sorry, Warner Brothers Discovery a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. you mentioned that they were pulling tons of stuff um, and like stuff like uh, American Pickle, right? That was an HBO Max yeah. original that just vanished off the platform. And there was no explanation for this. And I was originally optimistic that there'd be like, oh, maybe they're going to be rebranded as like Discovery Originals or whatever the heck. Yeah, sure. Um, American but, Pickle but, brought to you by Discovery. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, it's all, it's all, cha- it's all, everything's changing. But it turns out, um, no, I really should not ever assume the best about anything going on anymore. Uh huh. Um, because the reason why hundreds of episodes of TV shows have been pulled from HBO Max. Um, is for cost reasons that basically they are trying to cut costs, and by removing it from the service, they no longer need to pay residuals yeah. to cast, crew, and writers uh, of these shows. That's big uh, Eddie Murphy thinking meme logic. There, it's like if if we don't have the show anymore, we don't have to pay you. Doesn't matter if we already paid for it or licensed it or anything. You know, it's gone, yeah. disappeared. I don't think if that's we Eddie don't Murphy have any meme, content, is that, is that we don't yes, have to pay him. for the content. Exactly. That's yes. what it means. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the stuff that's impacted is actually stuff that's been relatively popular. Um, so I'm just going to read a bunch of stuff that's been impacted. Um, Aquaman, King of Atlantis, Close Enough, Detention Adventure, Dodo, Ellen's Next Great Designer, Infinity Train, Little Ellen, my Mom, Your Dad, Odo, The Ollie and Moon Show, Pac-Man and the Ghostly Adventure, Sesame Street Specials, uh, Elmo's Show, 200 episodes of the Not Too Late Show with Elmo were removed. Not which Little I... Ellen? What? <laughs> yeah, so it's uh, it's been bad. And actually, uh, the way, like, here's the thing. Hey, Discovery, you got to cut costs, whatever. You know, I understand the the rules of doing business. But Owen Dennis published a Substack this week. He's one of the creative people behind Infinity Train. And he revealed the way in which this was done is brutal. You know, uh, Infinity Train, uh, everything related to or mentioning Infinity Train has been removed from HBO Max, Cartoon Network, HBO Max, and Cartoon Network's Twitter accounts. HBO Max and Cartoon Network's YouTube accounts and all streaming services, end quote. So they kind of like wiped Infinity Train from the face of the earth. Almost. Exactly. Not, um, not Infinity anymore. Apparently, mm. apparently it was supposed to be, it wasn't supposed to happen until uh, this week, but like all these creators were kind of found out from the news, basically. Um, yeah. There's been disorganization and it has damaged these relationships with creators and talent and so on. 
Um, and so people are like, is the show gone forever? They don't, no one knows. You, no you one know. knows. They own it and they, there's no physical copies, right? Like it's, it's not easy to access this, by the way, uh, this is new ma- management, but don't forget it was just a couple of years ago. The HBO people were just like, and War- Warner brother people were like, let's just, uh, these movies, these movies going to theaters. Let's just put them on HBO max. Right. And didn't warn anybody. either. Right. So this is very much the culture there. And yes. to correct something you had mentioned before, uh, Dave, uh, it is 200 episodes of Sesame street. A show produced with public funds have disappeared, you know, off of HBO Max. And uh, I don't know if they're all like easily accessible on a PBS or something. I know like some are. Um, but to me, that is especially damning because uh, tax dollars like money people have spent um, or citizens money has been spent to like produce a show for the public good. And now HBO can just be like, uh, no, thanks. 200 are gone. It's yeah, interesting, I, too, I, that. Okay, sorry, go ahead, Dave. No, yeah, yeah. I, I apologize. I, I think the the way the article I was reading was confusingly yeah. structured. But the, you, the you not were also too late talking show, about the, the the not too late show, which does yeah, the not, not too late even show with Elmo, Elmo yeah. has been removed, and then separately, two hundred yes. episodes of the Sesame Street has been removed. Like HBO, I think basically licensed or acquired the license to Sesame Street a while ago. Yeah. Um. And so it was like, oh, this is so cool, Sesame Street on HBO, and they're going to build up their kids' kind of catalog, and mm-hmm. you'll be able to watch it on HBO Max forever. Well, nope, not anymore. And that is and extremely at the time, distressing. People, people were like saying, like, hey, it's not a good thing that HBO is doing this and getting this license because, sure, they're funding more Sesame Street episodes, but we can't trust them. We don't know what's going to happen with this thing down the line. And now look at what's happening. It is very distressing because Sesame Street is obviously a show that uh, has educated millions of people and is very meaningful to millions of people. So the idea that they just nuke these episodes um, for some cost savings is uh, really sad. Anyway, Jeff, I don't wonder why those in particular. I wonder if they have music rights or some some weird thing in those. Oh, it's particular definitely 200. It's definitely well, like they've well, had so many stars and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they have said that the reason why these shows were chosen is because these were the ones that weren't really uh, well viewed. Like they didn't have tons of viewership. That's what they said. Um, now, well, you know, uh, so so CNBC says I'm reading from Owen Dennis's article. He says CNBC says everything getting pulled from HBO Max was infrequently watched, according to people familiar with the matter. Uh, first off, no one is familiar with the matter because yeah. the entire industry has been trying to reach people that are familiar with the matter for three days and haven't been able to do so. End quote. And he's talking about the fact that, like, obviously, streamers keep a lot of their metrics under wraps. And so you, you have no idea we don't how know. honest they're being when they're saying, like, no one was watching these things. They, um, they or gave maybe us five the... reasons for canceling Batgirl, didn't they? So I can, don't trust anything they say. Anyway, well, Jeff, go it's ahead. interesting too. The last few years, you know, we've we've seen such a um, I say last few years, probably a decade, uh, but we've seen I think a, a real reduction in piracy, and I think you can accredit that to the accessibility of of so many things. People, it's just easier to watch yeah. it on a streaming service like HBO Max than it is to you know load a BitTorrent or whatever. And I think if you see this, this that's what stuff, they call it when they're pirating, Jeff. Loading up BitTorrent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm in touch with all what the kids. You're are with into. the lingo. You're hip with the yeah, lingo. Yeah, I'm cool. Yeah. I'm cool. That's what the kids uh, call it. They're wired they on, in. Uh, loading up the BitTorrent. Wire? Do they get on LimeWire? <laughs> get that kazaa going for the yeah, yeah. the for the torrents. Yep. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's been a while since I pirated anything, but um, <laughs> you know the uh, the. These kinds of shows, especially a show like Infinity Train that has a, a small but very passionate audience, mm-hmm. uh, and, and they're going to find a way to to get this content. And, it, and if you're not making it available to people, then that's how that stuff kind of comes back into vogue. It's 
Isn't he basically saying just just pirate the show, please? Well, yeah. please well, o- Owen Dennis yeah. wrote something very powerful about this, so I'm gonna yeah. I, I want to read this. I, it's a little bit long, but I, I'll ask for your indulgence because I think it's very important. He, so he has kind of a Q and A on the on the site, like what happened to the show, et cetera, et cetera. And he says, "Is pirating a show or uh, movie ethical?" And here's what Owen Dennis says. He says, "He says, quote, that's up to you. We're talking about art here. Art is for people to see and experience. Art makes up our culture. It's the most human things." That humans do. No other animal makes art except for us. That's fascinating, right? Our culture is preserved through art. The issue we have right now is that our most well-known art is, for the most part, owned by about five gigantic multinational corporations. That means they also own our culture. If you own our culture, then you also own our history and our access to it. Should a handful of companies own that, much less have the monopoly they have on it right now? I don't think so. So the question you have to ask yourself becomes, if a giant corporation has stopped me from having the ability to access my own culture, is it okay for me to watch a copy that doesn't funnel any money towards them, doesn't create scarcity of the art, and doesn't make a mark on some algorithm's, uh, algorithm's metrics? Only you can answer that for yourself, end quote. Sounds like he's answering that for me. <laughs> he is not taking an official position on it, but yeah, mm-hmm, it's, it's mm-hmm. if you are a pirate now, you are held, like, there is a reframing of piracy now as it's impossible to obtain it via legitimate means anymore. You cannot buy it, or, or actually... That, that's the thing is like, currently you can still buy Infinity Train on iTunes and Amazon Prime, but who knows how long that will last? Who knows if that will change ever? Um, and so buying it, physical media is really important. And for some people, arguably, piracy is important to preserving the culture because otherwise you're not going to be able to access it. Uh, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that is truly a sobering reality that we live in. For sure. So I, I Recently, I wanted to access a joke that was made in season three of The Critic which was only available as very short webisodes <laughs> but around like 2001. You know, I was like, there's no way there's a, there's copies of this anywhere. All of it's on YouTube. Somebody just dumped the entire season there. It looks like garbage because uh, they barely afforded animation, but it's there, you know? And for all of YouTube's problems, it, it is nice that it can exist as this sort of like vast repository of everything we've ever done, I guess. Right. You know? Also, humans are the only animal that makes art. Tell that to Vincent Van Goat. I think we got to move on now. <laughs> I'm broken. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, great post by Owen Dennis about Infinity Train. And uh, honestly, my heart goes out to all the creators who mm-hmm. are being impacted by this uh, these dealings. Like, again, you know, show business is a business, but the way they're going about this is horrible from a communication standpoint like they're not telling anybody about any of this or how it's going on or anything like it's just it feels like a really tough time to be doing anything relating to warner brothers discovery right now and Mm -hmm. um, if you are one of those we have many people listening to this show who work in the industry um if you're one of those people i'm sorry you're going through this and i hope it improves because i i don't think it can continue in this way for very long without people reacting uh to it in a way that like blows back on them eventually so anyway should i have that, gone with should i have gone with salvador doggy is that better is that a bit sure. better yeah that no? only you can decide that news. for yourself jeff yeah <laughs> you have to decide that for yourself and uh, and the the film cast does not condone piracy uh I, i'm just saying uh i'm trying to talk about how others are talking about it but that sure. is all the film news this week Here's the film cast documenting, chronicling the downfall of the movie industry for you week week by week. Uh, glad you're with us for all of that. Frida Catlow. 
All right, folks. Let's move on to our. Uh, let's move on to what we've been watching this week. What we've been watching this week. I had a chance to watch Orphan First Kill. Orphan First Kill. I, I can't wait to see this movie. Like I can't believe it exists, to be honest. So yeah, it was released day and date in theaters and also on Paramount Plus. Uh, I am going to spoil Orphan the first movie, but not <laughs> Orphan First Kill. Okay, so can I spoil? Jeff, have yes, you seen yes. Orphan? I have the not. First movie? It's a no. good twist. Do you, if you, you mind getting it. spoiled by yeah. Orphan the, for the first movie, the 2009? I, yeah, movie? I don't think I'll be watching Orphan anytime soon. Orphan is a 2009 psychological horror film directed by Jaume Colesera, uh, which stars Vera Farmiga, Peter Sarsgaard, and Isabel Furman. And basically, uh, these, these uh, parents adopt this girl named Esther, who plays by Isabel Furman, and they're really happy to adopt her, but then like strange shit starts happening and people start getting <laughs> hurt and injured because around her, maybe she's doing it. And there is a massive twist at the end of the 2009 film Orphan that I will now give away on this podcast. So if you don't Last know, warning. The twist, Orphan, the 2009 film, but you find out at the end of the movie that Esther is in fact, not a girl, not like a 10 year old girl. She is in fact, yeah. not a 10 year old girl, but a 33 year old woman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with a rare hormonal disorder that stunts her physical growth and uh, causes dwarfism and makes her look like a girl. And mm. so she's an adult woman posing as a girl. It was very good. Yeah. That's a good movie. Yeah, it, it, I really it is, enjoyed that. It is arguably one of the greatest horror film twists of all time, I would say. Right? Like a classic twist that this movie has kind of gained a cult following. And, uh, and it's largely because that's an amazing twist. It's just an awesome twist. Objectively speaking, in my opinion, for a horror film, nobody saw that one coming. Yeah, um, this is like the opposite of that uh, that Robin Williams movie where he's a little kid but in an adult body. Yes, exactly right. Yes, the opposite yeah. of Jack. That's right. She's, Jack, she's an yeah. adult person in a child's body. Okay, so Orphan First Kill is a prequel that asks, "Hmm, how did Esther get into the situation she was at the beginning of Orphan?" Mm. And I'm going to say that Orphan First Kill is awesome. Um, it is <laughs> Which absolute... still stars Isabel Furman, by the way. It still stars Isabel Furman. So it is now 13 12 years, years later. <laughs> it's 13 years after the release of the first Orphan. Uh, Isabel Furman, I think she was around 10 years old at the time that the first movie was made. She was like a teenager or like between 10 and 12 when the first movie was made. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so she is now a 25-year-old woman who's playing someone who's supposed to be even younger than the original <laughs> Esther was in Orphan, the 2009 film. Uh, and actually the way they do, they actually use like body doubles, like um, uh, Hobbit style, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so sometimes when you're looking at a wide shot, you're looking at, <laughs> you're looking at a girl who's playing the Orphan character. And then when it cuts to a close up, it's Isabel Furman, the 25 year old woman. <laughs> Uh, which is amazing. It's just, it's logistically, I'm stunned by how they accomplish this. Right? Isn't this the exact same thing that you had a major problem with, with that, uh, that musical that came out a couple years ago? Which one? Uh, you know, there was supposed to be about a teenager, but it was a full grown yeah. man. Well, when was that called? Dear Evan Hansen? Yes. Dear Evan this, Hansen. This, your major gripe with Dear Evan Hansen is what you're praising about this movie. Well, this is Jeff, campy horror versus. <laughs> first, of all, semi, first of all, Orphan First Kill yeah. is a campy horror film, which, by the way, Dear Evan Hansen is as well. Okay. <laughs> secondly, <laughs> secondly, they did not use body doubles in Dear Evan Hansen. So, that's, and if that's they had, they my estimation of it would have gone up. So, putting mm -hmm. that out there. 
Um, but I'm going to say this. So here, here's the thing. Here's the thing about Orphan First Kill, okay? Which, by the way, does feature some kills. So I, I don't think I'm spoiling that it does feature some kills. And some, I hope some it great features kills. her first. Like, it features her first, <laughs> arguably. That's why I'm being sold here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> here's the challenge of a prequel like this. We already know the twist behind Orphan, right? So how are they going to make Orphan First Kill interesting <laughs> if we already know that she's an, she's an older woman? And I'm just going to say the movie does a great job of making it interesting, in my opinion. Um, and also, uh, Julia Stiles is in this movie, and she is awesome. And uh, the whole time I'm wondering to myself, why is Julia Stiles in this movie? Like, what, what was it about Orphan First Kill yeah. that made Julia Stiles say, say I want to be in that movie? And She's been pretty quiet I, for a while, yeah. I'm just going to say that there is very interesting material for Julia Stiles in this movie. So... <laughs> Uh, I love this movie. If you liked Orphan, the first movie, you really need to see Orphan First Kill, in my opinion. So that's my that's my case. I'm trying to not give any details at all about the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but This is actually a Save the Last Dance sequel, I guess? Yeah? Yes. Sure. Indeed. Um, so that's Orphan First Kill. It is streaming right now on Paramount+. Plus. It's also available in theaters. Didn't do very well in theaters. It made like a million and a half dollars in theaters, but... Um, I had a great time with it, and it, it delivered exactly what I wanted. So, Orphan First Kill, strongly recommend. Which is evidently body doubles. That's the only thing you care about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I watched this movie called Untold, The Girlfriend Who Never Existed. This is a series of, I think, four documentaries that's going to be on Netflix. Five documentaries that's going to be on Netflix. Um, about Untold. Oh, actually, it's, it's actually a, a series that already has appeared on Netflix. Uh, and this is season two that we're in right now. But The Girlfriend Who Never Existed is the story of Manti Teo. And I don't know if you guys remember Manti Teo, but he sure. was a very talented football player. Yep. And it was revealed that his girlfriend, who had died tragically, never existed. Um, I was totally fascinated by this story when it broke on Deadspin a few, uh, like many years ago. Um, and this is because he, he, he came out as gay, right? No, actually, that's not true at all. Oh, and actually, I, that's I, one of the things that the documentary clears up. And hmm. and, and um, I think basically, Manti Teo was done really dirty by the media. You know, hmm. like he... Well, he didn't it's, lie it's about fa- this whole situation? No. Well, first of all, you should definitely watch the documentary. Yeah, Jacob, it sounds interesting. Because, because I think if you watch the documentary, like it will become very clear that he had absolutely no involvement with wow. the hoax. That was perfectly wow. on it, right? Um, but your reaction is telling because I think I don't think your reaction is, uh, or, or, or rather, your reaction is representative of how the media responded to the story. Right? right. So it's, it's not like you just pulled this out of your ass. Like that's how people were talking about it, and all these rumors swirled and and terrible rumors, like rumors that were not true about him. Right. Yeah. Um, it's one. It's an example of of somebody, i.e., me. Uh, who who like only bare, barely even right, right. paid attention to this at all? Like, You're at it, the periphery of the story, right? And yeah, you, you just sort of in details, the zeitgeist, right? and I picked up the whiffs of of things that yeah, turned yeah. out to be not true. Exactly, and it's I think it's a completely reasonable that someone would hear random things from the internet and come to your conclusion. Like that's totally reasonable. But like, w- what's fascinating about the story is like for me, there's a, the, a few things that are interesting. First of all, this in, this documentary, Untold: The Girlfriend Who Never Existed on Netflix. Um, has the goods. It has interviews with um, both uh, Manti Teo and the person who perpetrated the hoax on Manti Teo. So like 
It has interviews with them both. And that in, is inherently valuable. People have criticized this this documentary for being light on analysis, and I think it's right about that. It's 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 very much like a news magazine. We're just presenting what happened, and you get to hear from the people that were involved, and that's inherently valuable. But like very little analysis, you have to bring your own analysis to it. For me, it was a media story, and it was a media story for the people at Deadspin too, which is basically ESPN, NBC, CBS. All these people carried this story of Manti Teo's girlfriend uncritically, unskeptically. They never checked it. One of the people from Deadspin said, this is a story about how ESPN, you know, all the, you know, all these major news outlets didn't fact check this story and Deadspin, a blog with eight employees did like that. That's the story, but that's not the story the media is going to focus the, the story where the media looks bad. That's not the story they're going to focus on. And so they're going to focus on who is behind the hoax and is Manti Teo gay? And is it part of a way to hide his homosexuality and all this, you know, like, all this kind of tabloid stuff that Manti Teo honestly did not deserve. Um, and it becomes very clear in this documentary. He was just kind of, he was an innocent victim. It's very clear in the documentary. He was an innocent victim. It's like unequivocal in my opinion. Um, and it's heartbreaking and moving and it's just kind of this weird, it's so weird. It's such a weird story. Um, Sounds like but, one that you could use the term incredible. <laughs> Actually, Jeff, that is right. I actually think that's right. You know, uh, like the law, the law, it is allowed by law. Yes, <laughs> it is allowed by law. Yeah, I, I, I thought it's 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 completely fascinating to me. And I thought untold the girlfriend who never existed did a solid job of telling the story. So is he still in the you, NFL or not? I don't even know. Uh, I don't believe so. I think he retired yeah. recently. But um, anyway, check it Wild. out. Uh, untold the girlfriend it, who never existed. It, yeah, it's such a shame the this feels like an example of of the reason people just don't trust anything and will just believe whatever they believe it's because all of these institutions have failed us so frequently that people are just it's hard to even blame someone for for not believing things that are reported by major journal journalists 100% 100% i would say there are certain things that have led to me to like led me to kind of dis not distrust, but be skeptical. Be skeptical of what you read because uh, oftentimes the journalism, uh, the institutions aren't doing the due diligence, you know? And this is one of those cases where no and one, inc- this is a story that was too good to check is what right. it's called. Too good it to check. Too um, damaging to culture to have that be the case. And it's it's so frustrating. Yeah. Uh, also, another thing that really shook my faith, honestly, Nathan, for you, I'm not going to, like, in that show, Nathan, for you, he is able to get on local news with like complete bullshit all the mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. and it's just like, oh, you realize like the cracks in the system and how they can be manipulated. So well, you just uh, so much of it seems to come down to laziness mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and lack of funding, you know, uh, yeah. lack of money. Like that's oh, lack it's of also resources. pressure to like produce stuff. Mm-hmm. Like as the person on that side of the business, like you have a certain amount of time to like write the story about the thing and to get the number of posts up, got to get the yeah, clicks. Get the you know, like, and so, yeah, it's, it's the incentives are all misaligned for quality journalism. Unfortunately. Which is also why it was like really funny that it was a blog that really like schooled old school media. Yeah. It, it, to, to this day, it is like, you know, one of, it's like a cornerstone memory of me reading that blog post. Yep. Um, because it, it's just, it's just a remarkable, it's a remarkable piece of reporting, in my opinion. You know, like it's and and the fact that it's so weird, I think, is why like such a random assortment of factors, elements in the story, I think, is why it sticks in the popular imagination. So, um, 
strongly recommend it. It is, it is kind of redemption for Manti Teo. This documentary is kind of redemption for Manti Teo in many ways. Like I left this story, like Jeff, I, I had misconceptions too when, when I went into it, right? I was like, oh, like I thought he was like part of it or he knew about it. But like when you watch this, it's like really clear. It's like he's wow. either one of the best actors in the world or he was not involved in this at all, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I'd recommend you watch it just to like clear it up and understand exactly what went down. So, so the entire second season is about this one story? There is uh, two episodes about this story, and then I think there will be more episodes released later about different stories. Mm. Um, and there was already a first season about like uh, about other stories, like the Malice at the Palace and that kind of stuff. So uh, mm. I'm actually probably going to dive into this, this series more because I, I watched this and I thought it was pretty solid. So um, one of the directors, oh sorry, one of the creative minds behind it, like one of the producers, I think, is uh, the guy who did Wild Wild Country. So there's some there's more. Yeah. Um, uh, pedigree for you, but it's untold. The girlfriend who never existed. It's on Netflix. Divin your hardware. What have you been watching this week? Oh, a couple of things. Um, I saw this movie that I've been meaning to check out for a while called Akiara, and um, it's directed by Jonas Carpignano. He this is the third of his films that he's set in like southern Italy about um, sort of like the underworld and the crime world in Italy. Uh, this movie is basically if uh, what if Meadow Soprano was was as clueless as she was at the beginning of the sopranos and the we entirely focused on her and her revelation that oh her her father may be working you know for the mob basically for the mafia and that is what this girl learns in this movie and it is uh she's a 15 year old girl and sort of like her coming of age story of like figuring out like what the world really is and who her father really is and what her family is really a part of i think this movie is just absolutely fascinating uh, because it is it is a crime drama and a crime thriller, but told through the eyes of this girl. And I think uh, the lead actor, uh, Swami Rotolo, she is just fantastic because so much of this movie is just us staring at her face as she is trying to uh, to figure out what is happening in the world around her. And uh, Kiara herself is an interesting character because she's, she's a 15-year-old girl who's like, kind of kind of snobby kind of a jerk like is is ignorant about the world and the entire movie is about her like awakening basically to like the deeper side of reality and you know things that she she has never really been a part of um i think it's really well made i love the sort of like um the cinematography and the grittiness of it there's a nice realism to it uh the family in her in this movie too her family in the movie is played by uh swami rotolo's real family i believe including her father um so just like you can really tell you you have a good sense of like um familial uh relationships between these people so this movie starts with just like seeing a girl go to a birthday party and seeing her in high school and then it slowly gets to the underworld i think that whole exploration and everything is really fascinating so if you like crime stuff and if you want like a different lens on it if you've always thought like, man, would have been cool if the Sopranos had focused a little more on Meadow because what the hell is going on in her life, you know, around all of this? Um, I, I think you'd really enjoy this film. It's available on video on demand right now. Definitely worth a watch. That's Akiara. That's spelled A space C-H-I-A-R-A. Yes. yes. And, and this yeah, is part of a trilogy. So the, those two other movies are available for down, for rent as well. I'm going to go check those out. Yeah. Cool. Devendra, what else have you been watching? I've been checking out This Fool. A new, sh- a new show on Hulu, um, which I didn't realize it, it is from the guys who created Corporate. 
So I mm. loved corporate. I thought yeah, that corporate was, was great show. Yeah, on one of the Central, funniest yeah. shows on TV that nobody had seen. Like I think Comedy Central just did a bad job of promoting it and whatnot. Yeah, and they also Comedy Central has also basically almost gotten completely out of yes. producing live action um, shows at this point. Kind of so like, like a preview of what could happen with HBO, basically. Yeah. Right. Yep. 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 So a shame. It, yeah, it's a bummer because corporate was a pretty pretty cool show. Um, but this fool is on Hulu. How was it, Devendra? So I'm gonna read the the summary from uh from IMDb because I think it really encapsulates this show. Julio Lopez is a punk ass bitch with a heart <laughs> of gold who goes out of his way to help everyone but himself. So it's about this guy who uh, he lives in uh, in L.A. South Side. He's a really nice guy, and he works for this uh, nonprofit organization that helps uh, helps criminals um, or helps like people coming out of jail to re- rehabilitate themselves. You know, and he has lived in this community. It's, he's kind of like been around it, but he's never been part of the the gang community or anything. And I, I think like first of all, the the setup is great because uh, it stars Chris Estrada who plays Julio and uh, he is just a great straight man. Like he is a, he's a guy who's just trying to do his job and is trying to do good. Um, Meanwhile, he, he is trying to like really pull people back from the edge of doing like bad, bad criminal shit. And the thrust of this, the show is that uh, his cousin is coming out of jail and has to live with him as he rehabilitates, as he rehabilitates and as he like uh, gets back out into the world. And he also becomes part of this program too. So there, there's some serious stuff here too, but what's great is that the show is just genuinely funny, has a great assortment of characters. Like I think it's a kind of a perfect sitcom. And uh, we get a lot about this organization that they're working in too, because it's just like XCON's baking cupcakes. And just doing like really, really like wholesome things, and they get really into it. And I find that all really, uh, really funny as well. So I think the show is great if you're looking for like a nice, easy, quick, uh, you know, uh, 30 minute sitcom. Definitely worth a watch. Unfortunately, uh, language wise, it is very, very mature. Like there is swearing everywhere. Like it's, it's a very adult show. But if you want something fun to watch without the kids around, this is definitely worth it. All right. That's This Fool, and it's available right now on yeah. Hulu. Uh, Devinder Hardwar, you and I also checked out the season premiere of House of the Dragon on HBO. Yeah, a little show, too, right? A little show too. coming to HBO. Oh, did, Jeff, you, you saw it as well? Yeah. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Okay. Yeah. So, um, it's been several years since the ending of Game of Thrones. Uh, I, I would say at the very, at worst, a, I'm oh, sorry, at best, a polarizing mm-hmm. final season of Game of Thrones. At worst, an I, I would say widely hated. Widely hated. It's a catastrophe. Yeah. Yeah, but but the conversation. I, I mean, I, mean I, yeah. I I have I am privy to conversations in the Game of Thrones community, and not everyone thinks it's terrible. You know, like oh, especially especially thing. for fans of the universe, like I think it is mixed. But I I, I agree with you that yeah. it is pretty bad. It was I think the broader bad. conversation is oh, this last season was bad. Like clearly they were rushing things. Uh, I I feel betrayed by what it did to so many characters. Therefore, the entire show is bad and always was bad. And I think that conversation was bullshit because there were a lot of the early seasons, pretty much like most of the run of the show until like the last few seasons where things started to feel a little dry and they were like veering away from what uh, J.R.R. Martin or G.R.R. Martin had like said, um, like what had written down. So like as they were starting to go on their own, it clearly the show felt like it lost a bit of direction. Um, But I I loved Game of Thrones. I loved Game of Thrones early on. I would love to like get back into that universe and have those same vibes again. And I'm not quite feeling it with House of the Dragon, but I do appreciate that it is uh it's it's just kind of like about one set of characters. It's about the House Terrigerian, right? You are not going all over the place. We're not being introduced to like dozens of characters at once. 
and as to track like so many plot lines like we were initially with Game of Thrones, I feel like the focus could be a big benefit of the show. And uh, I have to say, it is nice to be back in this world. You know, I just I love the vibe. I love the sets. I love I, I love like the the way everything looks as a fantasy universe. I, I just feel like it's a good thing to revisit. And I like the cast here, too, like Patty Considine as King King Targaryen, like Patty Considine. I've always loved. So seeing him in a role like this is fantastic. Matt Smith uh, is good as his more like, um, I don't know, his more aggressive younger brother. Um, yeah, friend of the show, of like friend here. of the show, uh, Patrick Willems mm-hmm. uh, said like Matt Smith, I, I can never stop thinking about it, but he's like, Matt Smith has the best luck when it comes to TV roles uh-huh. and the absolute worst luck when it comes to movie roles. Oh, I mean, absolutely. Here's a yes. guy who's been like Doctor Who and also a uh, Damon Targaryen. And then in movies, he is Morbius's buddy and also um, <laughs> the guy from Terminator Genesis. Terminator like, Genesis, just, man. It, it just, he's had the worst luck when it comes to movies. But but in TV shows, dude, he kills yeah. literally and figuratively. He I was in he that played. Ryan Gosling movie that nobody ever talks about, Lost River. Like, man, okay. Uh, I like Matt Smith in this, although I think yeah, he's, uh, great. he's amazing. The wig work in the show is asking a lot. It is certainly, it's it's not just uh, Daenerys Targaryen trying to accept her wig. It is trying to accept wigs across across entire families. And you just gotta, kind of have to deal with it. Um, I don't know where the show's going. Like, I'm not fully privy to the early history of the Game of Thrones universe. Um, but I, I, I'm interested. Like, I, I like some of these folks. And I like that, um, I know Sonuya Mizuno is in this as well from Devs and so many things. So, I like high fantasy stuff. I like big budget fantasy. I want to see where this goes, but I don't know quite what to make of it yet. Like, I don't think the first episode was a complete home run. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Jeff Kanata, mm-hmm. what do you think of the premiere of House of the Dragon? I would just say that Matt Smith being in uh, Last Night in Soho maybe refutes a bit of that. Uh, that one. Oh, yeah, that's true. One good, good one. one. It's a great yeah. movie. It's a great movie. Yeah, who's good in that? In my top 10 that year. Um I um I, I agree with a lot of what Devendra said. I think it's too early to tell for mm-hmm. for the show for me, uh, which is why I didn't even really put it on my what I've been watching. It's you know I I, I agree a hundred percent that it it feels good to be back in this world and the the show feels expensive. It feels big, lots of dragons. You know it's it it feels uh, I it's like oh yeah, there's that music and the, the way the theme kind of mm-hmm, felt mm-hmm. new, but also kind of referenced the old theme. It it. it it was like, oh yeah, dude, I, I love this show. I, I was a massive fan of the books, massive, massive, massive fan of the books before the show ever got made, and um, you know, read them multiple times, and just like was so in love with the prose that George R. R. Martin uses, and and this kind of serious fantasy world. I just, I adored it, and it's such an odd experience now going into. I mean, even though we had seasons of the show mm-hmm. that weren't mm-hmm. based on books it still was dealing with characters i was very familiar with from the books and so to now be jumping into a time period where there's like all these names being thrown around and i don't know who any of them are and i don't have any reference point to you know a, a, a the the book uh world is interesting it's kind of a fun uh fun experience and I'm hopeful that the show is really uh, a home run. I hope I hope it allows the you know because it's untethered to what has come before. Uh, you know, it's it's far enough in advance. It's 172 years or whatever before the events of of the 
you know, the book series mm -hmm. and, the, and the other show. I like that, the opening crawls like us 172 years before Daenerys, just really, yeah. really highlighting it. So we know what's up before the yeah. thing that you remember, you dummies. Yeah. OK, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's great, though. Yeah, the words fade out and it's like, uh, just to make this 100 percent clear to everybody, she's not showing up. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I am I am I am cautiously optimistic. I really enjoyed being back in that world and I'm hoping that it is as uh as surprising and fun and thrilling as the best of game of thrones was so we'll, we'll see yeah uh i watched it as well i would say a solid opening but as davinder said not a home run it, it, there is just a dizzying number of characters and references yeah, yeah. to keep track of um, it still but, feels less dizzying than Game of Thrones, like early on. Sure, but yeah, yeah, I do think they got the main components right. You know, mm -hmm. which is the, which is like largely the cast and kind of the main conflict of the season. I think they set up pretty well. Um, but the, the cast is just really good, and also obviously the look of the show continues to be amazing. So, um, but yeah, House of the Dragon, a new era of Game of Thrones is here. Who knows how successful it will be? I, open question for me. I, I have. A lot riding on it, guys. <laughs> so we will see uh, what actually happens with House of the Dragon. But yeah. um, you never know. Like, you know, I, I have put a lot of preparation into covering the show. Um, and it's like the, the amount of preparation doesn't change if the show is good or bad. You know, like it's just I, your enjoyment I, of it does. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But House of the Dragon is available right now on HBO Max. And uh, and uh, sol solid debut. Not amazing, but definitely not bad. Um, and if you liked Game of Thrones at its best, I think you will find a lot to enjoy in House of the Dragon. So that's what Devinger has been watching. Jeff, hit us with what you've been watching. Well, um, I'll talk about another show that you are covering, uh, Dave, in, that is uh, She-Hulk, Attorney at Law on uh, Disney+. Plus. I have been uh, a fan of uh, iterations in the comic books uh, of She-Hulk, and I loved how um, that character has often been used Irreverent, irreverently uh, to break the fourth wall, to do fun, goofy stuff, to be uh, a lighter side of the Marvel Universe. And it looks like the TV series is going down that route as well. And I am delighted. I really enjoyed what I saw from the first episode. I've only seen one. I know you've seen more. Um, and I'm hoping that it continues this trend. I got to think, I don't mm -hmm. know if there's somebody keeping track of this, but I got to think this might set a record for the number of visual effects shots in a uh in a 30 minute show episode yeah pilot episode premiere episode because it's uh it's it's extraordinary <laughs> that this is tv right because we have uh you know we have bruce banner the the the, the hulk uh who never is uh not the hulk <laughs> for the most of the show and it's obviously a full visual effect and i think uh she hulk is full visual effect through the whole thing tons mm -hmm. of effect shots i mean it's a it must be a massive budget for for this series, and uh, I think it uh, it's pretty exciting to see that on the small screen. Uh, and I, I think the, the show is fun. I mean, I love how it wants to be a, a superhero show and a kind of David E. Kelly style uh, mm -hmm. law show at the same time. And and I'm here for it, man. I, I with flea bags like direct address to the camera and everything. Yeah, yeah, all that stuff. So. I think the casting's great. I love how it fits into the Marvel universe. I'm. I like how these TV shows have allowed themselves to be a different tone than mm -hmm. the films. Even we, you know, we can, can have conversations about Captain America's virginity, you know, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, and have a serious conversation about it too. Like uh, it makes you think. 
Yeah. My favorite components of it were the meta stuff, like mm-hmm. the meta commentary on you know marvel is already kind of meta but this is like very very meta you know yeah um even just the first conversation they have in the episode where it's like wow that's the longest uh answer to the question how are you doing that i've ever heard it's like yeah it ends like why would someone be kind of narrating what has been going on with them you know like i, I love those kind of mm-hmm, little touches mm-hmm. um jessica gao is the showrunner behind this she uh has written a lot of rick and morty very yeah. very talented yeah. writer so much um, as we've talked about before so much rick and morty talent over in the mcu now like uh everybody yeah. except dan Harmon, apparently so yeah mm-hmm. uh jeff any other thoughts about she hulk attorney at law streaming right now on disney plus no again i've only seen one episode but i'm mm-hmm. super into it and i'm having a blast i'm having a blast with the show and i hope it maintains that irreverent fun feel uh and i hope that they didn't you know they didn't sort of just blow their load on the, <laughs> the first yeah. episode i hope it i mean it you know I'm i was really too. enthusiastic yeah. about the first episode of moon Knight as well so i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not getting Moon Knight vibes here. I'm getting like, oh, I, I'm more interested Agreed. in what's happening here, uh, mainly because I will I would watch Tatiana Maslany like read the dictionary. You know, like I, I think she is incredible, like as a performer, and I think she's super charismatic. And this show really taps into all of that really, really well. Um, but yeah, I've only seen this first episode too, and I really hope it's not. You know, I love irreverent. I love fun. I hope it doesn't become irreverent to the point of flippant. You know, like to the point where you're just joking about what's happening here, which is something I think uh, a show like maybe Harley Quinn navigates really well, you know, like mm, where it can yeah. make fun of uh, the, the the complete ridiculousness of the DC universe uh, while also like doing its own thing. I would love to see I would love to see the show do its more thing, its own thing. Um, I wish it had a longer pilot, maybe because uh, not a huge spoiler, but Jamila Jamil just like pops up at the end of this, like without without anything right like clearly they it almost seems like they had meant for you to watch uh the first two episodes together because of the way she was introduced kind of fun kind of campy um i'm interested to see like everybody else popping up in this too like you know charlie cox is coming back in um i want to see his daredevil talking with her and i also hope like uh i do think it's weird and i've always thought this was weird why is she hulk just like she is sexy she's sexy amazon woman right and the hulk is uh, I'm sure a lot of people will call Mark Ruffles Hulk a daddy now. Um, but you know, <laughs> Hulk originally ki- kind of a monster. But is he like Jeff Kanata level daddy though? Is the question. Yeah. I mean, with the glasses and everything, people were all over that Hulk. Yeah. Um, I, I do. Uh, I do is, wonder, is like, your complaint the, that, that Mark Ruffalo's Hulk is not sexy enough to Is that what's happening? You no, know, it's like, it, it is like a weird double standard of like what, what a giant towering Hulk can be. Uh, Tatiana's must she Hulk can still be a supermodel, right? Uh, whereas Hulk in his full monstrous form is, is like a, a beast, you know, it's well, something I mean, very, the, very, 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 I don't think you're yeah. being very body positive about Hulk, Divindra, about <laughs> also, the pilot it's, it's directly, true. directly addresses that. It does, you know, it does. She's kind of the whole thing is like, hey, I have this like dual personality monster thing going on, yeah. and you don't. What's up with that? It is, it is a really nice, yeah, yeah, they they talk about it, they address it. It's a very nice excuse for like for it's something. It's like an issue I've always had with She-Hulk, and it, it's a thing with a lot of comic characters. Like so many of the comic characters, like She-Hulk, I think whenever we saw her in comics was pretty much in a bikini. You know that was her outfit. So well, every things... female character in comics was. Yeah, exactly. The uh, Vinger just has simple pleasures. Okay, he likes his male Hulk fuckable. Is really what. what he <laughs> so. I, I just think uh, th- there there is more we could talk about here because it's weird. But also, Tatiana Maslany is a giant Hulk lady. Sure. Sure, it works. It's fine. Uh, I hope the rest of the season like holds up to this one, basically. 
Indeed. I well, just hope. I mean, setting fuckability on the, aside for a second. I mm-hmm. no uh, Tom Cruise in this one. Sorry, Jeff. <laughs> 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 I uh, my hope for this show is that the courtroom drama stuff is as fun yes. and compelling yes. as the superhero stuff. And I think that's the that is the main mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. challenge here because there is a real opportunity to go deep on that stuff and have a lot of fun with it because mm-hmm. the the legality of a Marvel universe, which has been explored in comics a lot to, to great effect, in my opinion, would would be a ton of fun to see in the show. You know, the, the, the notion of when you have a world with the superpowered beings doing crazy stuff, what are the lawsuits like? Well, you know, <laughs> what, how does the law handle all that? It That could be really fun is, you know, Mm-hmm. A, gi- a giant purple man smashed up my building. I need some recompense, you know, like that's that. Not, that's yeah, that's definitely what people are coming for. She Hulk to see too, like well, the, 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 the gritty courtroom drama. I would love to see it to be honest. Yeah. Well, I hope that it is a show about two sides and that yes, equ- yeah. the sides are equally as fun. That's my yeah. point. And also like, where, where are the good courtroom dramas right now? You know, like aside yeah. from the shows I've been telling people to watch and nobody's going to watch, I'm looking at both of you, uh, The Good Wife and The Good Fight. I think the Kings, uh, Robert and Michelle King have been doing tremendous courtroom dramas, you know, for over a decade now. And it is the thing a very small audience of people are enjoying. It's not like the widespread hit that Allie McBeal and other shows were. The practice. So, yeah. yeah, the practice. Yeah. LA Law. Um, but let's have some fun with this. Yeah. I, w- I want to see more. I'm far more excited. I'm still like I left Moon Knight at like episode three and I have very little desire to go back. Uh, Whereas this, I'm very excited to like finish it. That's She-Hulk Attorney at Law. It's streaming right now on Disney Plus. Let's get to weekly plugs. Weekly plugs are part of the show where we plug something else we've been. Oh, you know, it just sometimes it just keeps going, keeps going. They fixed uh, it weekly, day, if they fixed it. <laughs> yeah, the, they're going to fix that thing any day now. Weekly Plugs is a part of the show each week where we plug something else we've been making. Uh, as I hinted at uh, just moments ago, I have been doing uh, a cast of Kings. It's back, baby. I have a new co-host, Kim Renfro, the author of The Unofficial Guide to Game of Thrones. Uh, she's co-hosting with me. You know, She brings vast knowledge of the Game of Thrones universe to the podcast, and I bring myself you know um and uh, together we make a podcast together so you're, you're the Ann peggy of all these shows yeah. <laughs> indeed um but uh yes the cast kings is kicking off today and uh it's going to be a very exciting season i can't wait for you all to discover kim renfro and, and her expertise and i hope you'll check out the podcast at a cast you can support the podcast by going to decoding tv.com that's my weekly plug devendra hardwar your weekly plug Sure. I want to shout out the latest episode of the Engadget podcast. Uh, I wasn't on it. I'm still off for until like after next week. Uh, but they reviewed. Yeah, it's great being on paternity leave. Uh, but my my team there, my colleagues, reviewed the Samsung, uh, all their latest foldables. So last week they talked about the announcement of the new foldables. Now they have had like had them for a couple of weeks and been playing with them and the reviews are up. So uh, Sherlyn Lowe and uh, who's it? Sam Rutherford. Also talk about like, you know, their experiences actually using the Z Flip 4 and the new fold and everything. I'm still not fully sold on foldables, but I do have to say those, they look cool. They sure look nice. I wish, uh, I wish like maybe they didn't cost as much and were more feasible and you know, like had better long-term uh, viability in terms of like not breaking. Uh, but I think they look cool. Check out this episode of the Engadget podcast. Jeff Kanata, weekly plug. 
I do a comedy science show called We Have Concerns. You can find it at wehaveconcerns.com. The most recent episode is about cross-modal sensory substitution. Not that old thing. Which, of course, in this instance, is uh, seeing things with your tongue. Uh, It is a remarkable uh, avenue of research uh, where uh, using the device that is that has been uh, approved by the FDA to um, to actually stimulate the tongue in certain ways uh, that allows it to paint a picture uh, on your tongue. Use the use the the, the touch sensation of your tongue to uh, translate a video feed uh, and allow people who may have a visual impairment to see using a different sense. Uh, and it's fascinating, fascinating stuff. And also we make jokes along the way. So this is the, this is the show where you can learn something uh, really, really interesting uh, and laugh along the way. You can find it at wehaveconcerns.com. All right, a couple quick cl- plugs for the podcast. Of course, you can always support the show at patreon.com slash filmpodcast, uh, where you can find ad-free episodes and exclusive After Darks. Of course, we never want anyone to contribute if it in any way causes them financial hardship. Uh, you can support us by always going to Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app you are using and leaving a star rating or a review. It just takes a few seconds. It's free, and it makes a big difference to us. Um, So thanks to everyone at patreon.com slash filmpodcast who makes this show possible. Let's get to our review of Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Who wants to play Bodies, Bodies, Bodies? So how do you play? If you draw the piece of paper that has the X on it, you are the murderer. Let's go. And if you're the murderer, you have to kill someone by touching them on the back. The most important part, if you come across a body, you have to yell, Body, body, body! Is that the lights? David? Welcome to the film cast. We are here to talk about bodies, bodies, bodies. I'm going to read the plot summary of this movie from IMDb. When a group of rich 20-somethings plan a hurricane party at a remote family mansion, a party game turns deadly in this fresh and funny look at backstabbing fake friends and one party gone very, very wrong, end quote. Uh, I'm here with Devendra Hardwar and Jeff Kanata. I'm David Chen. Let's talk about bodies, 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 and overall thoughts. Devendra Hardwar, let's start with you. Do you like this movie? What do you think? Sure. Uh, I, I love this movie. I had a lot of fun with bodies, 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 um, mainly because I think like it is a movie that's essentially about terrible people, and that's something, that's a refrain I've heard in so many reviews, like, ah, oh, terrible people. Why would I enjoy this? but I enjoy seeing terrible people destroy themselves. Like that is, there's inherent fun to that. And uh, I think this movie does a lot with like, um, just like who these characters actually are. Like these are rich kids having a hurricane party in a remote, uh, in a remote house, you know, remote big fancy house in the middle of somewhere. I have very little sympathy for you folks. Um, I think the cast all around is pretty fantastic. Um, I think Maria Bakalova seeing her, I don't know if she's been anything like post uh, Borat 2 but I liked her because she is sort of like the lens of the audience. She's the innocent amongst these like really annoying folks. Um, and it's just like a whole bunch of people from all around, right? Uh, Rachel Sinnott from, uh, from Shiva baby. Shiva baby. Yeah. yeah. Um, Lee pace. I love that the entire world has, uh, has basically awoken to the fact that Lee pace is fantastic. I think he's a lot of fun in this movie. He's playing like the ditzy older guy who is, uh, who's a part of this randomly. 
I've loved Lee Pei since uh, Wonderfall. So to see him like just, you know, get things like this, get foundation. There was a great profile of him in GQ recently, which just really made me like the guy even more. I think he's a fantastic actor. Uh, this is a movie that's definitely about uh, young people having annoying young people arguments and bites. Uh, but I think it all feels very real. I think the relationships between these characters feel really uh, lived in. Um, I just had a lot of fun with it. Like this movie always kept me guessing. Um, this isn't a movie where I'd really go in for the kills, but I was definitely like, uh, I was definitely like into following everything that was happening. And it surprised me, um, all the way to the end, to be honest, like this movie, it's, it's hard to have like a slasher type movie that feels fresh and surprising. Uh, but this one certainly did. So yeah, I enjoyed the hell out of this. You can kind of read this as a uh, a sequel to the second Borat movie. Sure. Like why did yeah. why did Borat let his daughter go here? <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Kanata, your overall thoughts on bodies, bodies, bodies. Well, Dave, I guess you could say my overall thoughts on bodies, bodies, bodies is best summed up in the form of a limerick. It's so much more fun than it seems. Full of clever and insightful themes. If more people see it, I think they'd agree it could be this generation's scream. Wow. Ooh. That's, that's I, high praise. I feel like that goes too far. I love this movie. Yeah. yeah. I love this movie. In fact, I'm kind of overwhelmed, guys. 2022 has been incredible for movies already. I feel like my top 10 list is already full, and we haven't even got to the part of the year where mm -hmm. the movies that tend to be on our top 10 list come out. It's a good sign. Yeah. It's a very good sign. I think this movie will be fighting for a position on my top 10 list. I, I love it. I do think it is one of the best slasher slash horror films I've seen in years. Um, and, and what I said in the limerick about it being this generation's scream, I think for my generation of the sort of nineties kids, uh, you know, high schoolers in the nineties, uh, the way Scream was kind of a send-up of our behavior and our, you know, uh, our our media obsession and how we were raised with media and our mm -hmm. our psyches mm -hmm. and our our perception of the world is constantly infused with media and the way that was expressed through Scream in the for the first time in a horror movie like that, and it's kind of about how that generation processes information through their cultural touchstones. I think Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is doing that about kids today. Yes, this movie is about a very particular subset of kids, i.e. wealthy, spoiled brats, basically. Uh -huh. But I think it applies. I think it applies. I think this is these are what kids today want to be. And I think this movie makes some really insightful observations about the culture of young people and the sort of self-obsession and um, you're doing everything for the TikToks and all that stuff. And it does it in a way that is not, I don't think is uh, heavy handed in a way that is off-putting. I think it is clever. I think it is really mm -hmm. uh, using a scalpel and not yeah, a, yeah. a cudgel. It's and, very organic in terms of how it introduces all those things. It doesn't feel like it's yes. just hitting you over the head with it. Yeah. And the performances from top to bottom are so great. I felt like I was hanging out with those, those kids in that place. I never felt the artifice of a movie at any point. And I think the movie is so skillfully made 
really beautifully executed. There, so much of the movie is lit by the actors, you know, by yeah. a headlamp or a flashlight. And there's, you know, in watching some of those scenes, if you don't really look out for it, you can miss how technical some of that is, how an actor will fall and like have to hold the, the flashlight up to themselves to capture it. And all of that stuff had to be meticulously choreographed. And mm -hmm. yet it never impedes on the verisimilitude of, of the moment. It feels authentic. It feels real. It feels yeah. like these are improvisational moments. And there are some incredible scenes for tension, for what's going to happen next. And I'm with you, Devendra. Like I was guessing through the end. I thought the end was a complete home run. I loved it. It was Brilliant. We'll get to that in spoilers. A great, great capper to this whole thing too. Like this yes. thing that all revealed. I, I will say in terms of the technical things, one thing I kept noticing is like, oh yeah, uh, you guys are in the middle of a hurricane. Uh, you have no power and you're wasting uh, cell phone uh, battery life by having your full screen brightness on along with the flashlight in the back. I was like, oh yeah, they got to light the faces. There's no other lights. This is filmed the real entirely. MVP. The yeah. real MVP were those uh, smartphone batteries in this Yeah, movie. definitely. I mean, I definitely. think that... I think that's believable. I think that's what mm -hmm. the, what I mean. I think that's what people would do. It's like the, mm -hmm. they, they're using their cell phones as as flashlights. I, mean, I, they know, have, I think Kevinger and I are commenting part. on the fact that you would have run out of battery like in the first two hours yeah. of the night. Their screens yeah. are fully white and fully lit, and you don't yeah. use your screen for that necessarily. You use the yeah. back little camera. So you, uh, to see them do that, it's kind of funny. Yeah, you would have run out of battery, David, because you're on your phone uh, <laughs> forty seven hours a week or whatever. Like, oh, crazy I would have. Yeah. Here, here's the most unrealistic thing about bodies, bodies, bodies. No one has one of those backup battery packs that they're just pulling the juice. <laughs> Absolutely from true. Them, you know. Yeah. yeah. So the, um, uh, the the other thing I want to mention too is that uh, an incredible portrayal of podcasting and a total like skewering of podcasting. <laughs> which is, it just it just made me. I mean, I was this movie's funny. I was laughing mm -hmm. out loud alone in the movie theater, uh, over and over again. It is so smart. It is so clever. I can't say enough about the performances because I I believed all of those kids were in those in those situations and having these passion. I mean, so much of the joy of this movie is having these kids express passionately this completely vapid concept. And th but they believe it. They're bought in 100%. I think this movie is great. It's a crime to me that it's not a bigger hit. I wish it was. I mean, it doesn't have the iconic ghost face type of a character that a Scream mm -hmm. does. So in that sense, it, 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 it's, it's, you know, not able to be as culturally, uh, have a big cultural footprint because just that yeah. iconography of the face of ghost faces is, is a big deal. It's probably going to have a good VOD life and a good streaming life just because there, so. there are people, people will actually recognize in this movie, like Pete Davidson alone, I think playing a sort of like riff on his own personality in a way too, like there's some direct jokes about him and his, uh, his sex life that people like to talk about that yeah. I think are, were kind of hilarious. He is really good in this. Um, I, I mean, yeah, I honestly thought I was completely drawn in from the very first moment of this movie. I mean, this movie starts with this kiss, yep. uh, but then it, it pulls you into this, this world. And I, I cared about all these characters. I was constantly trying to get ahead of this movie and it was always ahead of me. I just, I couldn't believe how much I loved bodies, bodies, bodies. I thought it was a, a fantastic movie. I, it's worth pointing out the story for this, I think came from uh, the, the woman who wrote cat person that story that went really viral. Mm. Right. Yeah. So like it is like, it has a definite, it has a real 
um i know sense of uh what's going on today it feels really very realistic yeah, i mean i think yeah. horror movies can often be that can often have their finger on the pulse of of the culture and and i think scream is a great example of that and and i think this movie absolutely does captures this time in our mm-hmm. cultural lives in our history by looking at the young people and how they behave and i just thought it did it so skillfully and so insightfully couple thoughts on the movie and then i'd love to talk spoilers with you guys uh, i really enjoyed it as well like I, I liked it quite a bit um one of the things i think it does really well is capture what this party dynamic is um i don't really party mm-hmm. like this that much anymore but like i i, I, I would party you know I have, I have on yeah. occasion gone to a party and it's been it's been a while since you've had a hurricane party at your uh, mansion, your parents' mansion. Dave. It's so true. It's yeah. so true. The I last really... time I heard you talk about a party, Dave, was when you left a party early because they didn't serve the food fast enough. So <laughs> it's like a cut from two years ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, uh, you hear the was... guy they were talking about at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> Where'd he go? He just well, left. <laughs> the, I think. The uh, I think one of the things that's great about it is like when you go to one of these parties, like it's like you don't know what the dynamic is because like sure, all the yeah. people have different relationships to each other and some of them are complicated. Sometimes you don't even know what the relationship is between the characters are uh, or between the people are. And yeah. so um, I, honestly, Lee Pace, it was just hilarious every time I saw him on screen because you have all these girls so that look like they're like, in, like teenagers or in their <laughs> early 20s. And then you have Lee Pace. Who yeah. looks like he, he's an extremely attractive man, but he looks like he's like in his forties. He's and, yeah, he is forty something. He's also like nearly seven feet tall. Lee Pace is a tall man. Like he is just like this weird giant walking around these children. Yeah, it's this amazing <laughs> visual gag, and also uh, I have been to parties like that. I've been to parties where there's been like a girl who is uh-huh. with this dude that's like literally twenty years older than her, and it's just kind of like. Oh, okay. And like, I don't okay. know how I'm supposed to behave. In <laughs> you that do the Nathan Fielder. Oh, okay. Uh, I've <laughs> yeah. definitely been to like uh, beer garden gatherings where somebody's like, oh, my new girlfriend can't, can't get in. She's, she's not old enough. And then yeah. we just all have like a quiet pause. Yeah. Like, yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So I love yeah. that the movie like captures. I've been the 20 year older guy, guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love that the movie kind of captures that like weird, awkward dynamic, you know, uh, mm-hmm. it does a great job of that. But also of like I, to giving you a sense of who these people are from those interactions too. Like it yes. feels very real. Yes. Like you could start, if you were a fl- uh, wallflower, like we are watching this movie, you get the dynamics early on, you know? Yeah. There is, uh, uh, an, an, you know, another thing I, I choose not to think about this movie as like being about Gen Z. Like there's mm-hmm. a lot of debate is like, does it, is it realistic in how it captures Gen Z? I, I'm not even evaluating that question. Like I don't even, honestly, don't really care. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think even putting apart, setting aside whether these characters are from Gen Z or not, I still think it's a really interesting work because, uh, it's less about even Gen Z and more about what happens when you put a bunch of people with simmering tensions inside yes. of a house together. Yeah. This is the, this movie is the best advertisement for a emotions based therapy and B <laughs> being honest with your friends that I mm-hmm. can ever come up with. I mean, it is mm-hmm. basically like if everyone was just clear, honest about their thoughts about each other and, uh, and if they kind of were in touch with their own feelings and and kind of their own hangups, um, then uh, perhaps some tragedies could have been avoided. 
Um, and uh, just a few, just and, a few. And it, yeah. and it doesn't. They don't have to be women. They don't have to be Gen Z. They are, in fact, in this case, uh, you know, Gen Z women. But like, it could be any people from any generation. Could be three middle-aged dudes on a film podcast. You know, um, could be anyone. So um, <laughs> anyway, I, I really that like be, those that. Would be movies. called old bodies, old bodies, old bodies. <laughs> <laughs> Out my back. Indeed. Yeah. All right. I um, I called this. I I walked out of this movie and I went. You know what this is. This is Clue with drugs. Sure. And, and smartphones. Like, I yeah. love Clue. Yeah. I love that movie Clue. But it, 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 I love the pressure cooker. The, you ha- you're trapped in a place. You can't get out of that place. You have to stay in that place. Bad stuff is happening. Mm-hmm. Who done it? What's going to happen? You know, room to room. Where are we? Who is everybody? The movie conveys the, the geography of the house in a really effective way. You kind of always understand what the relationships are with the people and and their locations it's clue yeah plus drugs which it turns out yeah not a great combo <laughs> but you know what clue 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 was always like fun and campy it always felt like a comedy whereas this feels like there is drama here there's like actual yeah. interpersonal dynamics this is basically watching a friend group implode and <laughs> if you've been around enough friend groups you're like oh this is that they're going to start fighting and this is going to be a really interesting night. And uh, that's kind of how this kind of all goes down. So to me, just that aspect of it, it feels really realistic and yeah, people should communicate better, but so many friend groups are built up of, uh, Oh, you've been my friend since kindergarten. Therefore you will always be my friend, you know, or we grew up together or I'm secretly in love with this person, but I can't tell them like that is, that is drama is like, we cannot, we cannot be radical about honesty all the time like we can't tell people everything so to see how all that kind of curdles together and implodes in this movie i think is a delight like to me that well, is the real joy of this movie i also love how they they all call it like as soon as somebody yeah. says let's yeah, play yeah. bodies 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 they're like this is not going to end well you know like <laughs> this, is, this is bad yeah. this somebody is somebody fights under. every time yeah yeah i, so I will say the one complaint i have about the movie and i can elaborate on this a little bit more in spoilers is like I honestly think um, the the movie just needed a little bit more in terms of character development uh, Mm. because there's some big uh, turns that happen towards the end of the film that like rely on us having like a pretty clear understanding of these characters relationship to each other that I don't think the movie fully lands. Um, And part of it's probably like budgetary constraints. Like they want all all of it's basically filmed, you know, at this house, you know, 99% of the movies filmed at this house. So it's like, they didn't want to show or they, they didn't want to or they couldn't show stuff outside of the house. And I think that really hurts the movie. Um, but other than that, I, I, I don't agree that. with that. I, I, I was never in doubt about the relationships between people. And I loved how it unraveled those as we went on through their conversations. And and as Devendra keeps pointing out, the the breakdown of the the lie of those relationships, which is, oh, I love you. I love you more. Oh, you're the best. And then we get to the real truth of how they feel about each other. I and never I think, liked your podcast. In fact, I've never listened to a single episode. Yeah. So great. I mean, yep. the, that I think showing that as a, a flashback or leaving the house to show that rather than seeing the fraying and unraveling of those relationships in real time, I, I think would not make for a better experience in my mm. opinion. All right, let's get to spoilers guys uh, right now for bodies, bodies, bodies. Here we go with spoilers for the movie. Now, the secret. Trying to see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. I think the stuff I was talking about, Jeff, just to to 
be specific about it is kind of at the end the, the love triangle stuff i don't think really fully works um specifically with uh sophie b and jordan are the characters names right at the end there's kind of this love triangle going on and it's just like mm, like there's enough that i it, it functions but like it doesn't fully land for me as as well as it could have and, and you know we, we have different opinions on that you're saying hey it was fine the way it was i'm like uh i really like it does come out of nowhere. It does yeah, come out of nowhere. That, in a, typically yeah. in a movie like this, you get like um, some scenes with the characters traveling to the place where you kind of meet them all and like get a sense of them. And like even just something like that would have added a little bit more texture and mm-hmm. made those late stage developments feel more real. Um, Do you, I but, mean, I think it's I think it's an open question as to whether that really was a, a love triangle or if, if it was just one character sowing seeds of doubt in another you know, no, because I, yeah, I, yeah. it's yeah, true. The, yeah. the, she finds she finds the bra, and she finds the bra of Jordan. Mm, Jordan's bra true. in the car, yeah. like that. That whole thing is planted there. But what I think is interesting there is that they didn't. They give you enough. You know, you see Jordan confront uh, Sophie when they first arrive because Jordan's in the pool, and she's like, "Oh, funny seeing you here." And there's like something always like a little aggro about her. Like she's the practical mm. one. She's the ones like. I'm going to turn on, you know, I'm going to flip off the, the circuit breakers. I'm going to like figure out what's going on. I'm going to drive yeah. the car. Um, her personality really vibes. And clearly like from the beginning, she had like, you can see it. The subtext is there. Like she punches B in the face real hard at the beginning, kind of out of nowhere, even though it's part of the game. Everyone's like, what? That's a little too much. So I think like maybe going back, you could see the seeds of like her, her feelings. And Jordan strikes me as somebody who is uh, so practical. She never lets herself like really let loose with her real emotions or something. And that's kind of what we see at the end of the movie. So I don't know. I feel like I, I'm really impressed at how subtle the characterizations are throughout this movie. Definitely a lot more could have been explored, but I also appreciate when a movie is just like, you, watch how people talk to each other, watch how people interact, you know, and mm-hmm. the seething rage they have with each other. And sometimes rage is actually like secret desire, you know, and that this movie, especially at the end, balances that really well. Yeah. Well, well put, Devendra. Um, I want to give a shout out to the Lee Pace killing scene. Uh, that so was good. really Incredible. just probably the highlight of the film from a uh, execution perspective, in my opinion, yeah. just like incredible, you get like every character's behavior feels understandable and justified in that situation. Yeah. And there's this kind of mounting terror that occurs and like the pacing increase, you know, like it's really, it's really well done. Red in that room. It's lit red. It's and in it's a gym. And it, yeah. Yeah. It's so great. Yeah. It's really well, also, well like you walk into that whole scene. Lee Pace is sleeping on a gym floor and like just there's something off almost about every single scene in this movie. And like just that image of this giant man just sleeping uh, with his yeah. headphones on. Like I thought I was cackling at that and seeing his explanation for it and all was good. And at the end of the day, like he I don't know if there was anything weird about him other than he had a go bag that had a knife in it. Um, no, he was defending was, himself. And then the best he was thing about that. Yeah. The best thing about that character is someone calls him a vet so they think he was an f like the story grows because no one's honest with each other and (laughs) that line where she goes she goes why do you keep calling him gi joe have you seen him (laughs) it's so so great it's like this complete misunderstanding of like the fundamental nature of who this person even was i do think rachel senate got a lot of the best lines in the movie and Mm -hmm. another Mm -hmm. line she says with like just the most contempt, it's like she's saying almost like a racial slur. She's like, mm-hmm. your parents are upper middle class." You know, like <laughs> yes, it's like so the wor- it's like that's the worst thing you could say about someone in that scene. She, she I mean, yeah. all the cast is is amazing. So good. I love and that. I, line. I love the 
the choice of putting the the glow sticks around the neck to, to like so in that scene where they lock her out and you just see the glow sticks coming and locking the door ah oh, i mean i wonder how many glow that, sticks they went through in the shooting of this movie <laughs> that is something that the movie did a really good job of um and actually there's another show i saw recently called uh, all of us are dead i think um which is kind of has some similar dynamics on Netflix, mm-hmm. uh, the Korean horror drama. But basically, like you have these, uh, you know, four central girls who are in this movie, uh, women in this movie, and um, all of them are dressed very, very differently. Like so, you like visually, it's very clear who you're looking at at all times. Which is just like yeah. you wouldn't think helpful. that you would need that, but like it's just it's very helpful when you're watching the movie. It's like oh, Super I know helpful. exactly. You know, one person's wearing the glow sticks around her neck, and one person yeah. has the T-shirt on, and you know, and so on and so forth. So level that. But of course, guys. The ending is genius, right? I mean, genius, genius. Uh, sure, it, it's yes. genius for a variety of reasons. Um, but one of them is like obviously the reason it had. Really, this movie is about toxic masculinity and how, <laughs> and how like if Pete Davidson hadn't been so wanting to be more of an alpha male type, none of this would have happened, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that and part's also awesome, like, but, yeah, yeah. Go, go ahead, ahead, Jeff. No, no, you go, you go. I mean, doing doing things for the the Insta, doing things for the <laughs> doing TikTok, things for the I mean. the TikTok, yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's, uh, it's so great, and it's so it's it's set up early when they're like doing the da- the dance with Lee Pace and and trying to get it right and trying to and like don't, yeah. Don't, yeah. it's I think the movie is so smart. The setups are are disguised. You don't see them as, as setups for payoffs. Uh, I, I love how we get to that moment where they find the phone. That's not my phone. She walks over and pulls his eyes open to get the face. T- it's like, yeah. it's so, the, the movie is so of this moment right now. You know, mm-hmm. it is exactly a indictment of all the things that our culture is doing right now. Mm-hmm. It's it's also, you bring up uh, toxic masculinity, Dave. And sure. Yeah, of course. Um, I feel like that, that is like the, the theme to hit on often, especially when you're around dudes like this, like Pete Davidson's character. And I think he does a great job of playing an absolute asshole, but it is, it's really, it's toxicity in all of its forms. Yes, right? It's toxic yes. relationships. It's toxic. If, these, if yeah. these people hadn't been so wound up and had so much bitterness and resentment toward each other, yeah. none of this would have happened. You know, that's if it. They'd be more that's communicative. It. Yeah. If they, you know, like, yeah. Everyone, not just not just the women, but the men too. Like every everyone involved, right? Yep. Like none of this would have happened. It's a it's a comedy of toxicity, and uh, I also want to shout out the actor who plays uh, Jordan, Myhala Harold. She is so good. Like I'm so sold on her. She stars in that that HBO show Industry. I'm just going to watch it now. I'm going to start watching Industry because I yeah. like her so much in this movie. So she's she's all yeah. she's a total badass in this movie. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love also well. love uh, I love how it. It really feels like if they had never started playing bodies, 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 the game, they wouldn't have inter- they perhaps wouldn't have interpreted the things through the lens of we're in a horror movie. Right, right. You know, like they behave as if they're in a horror movie because that's the mental state they put themselves in, amplified by copious substances. But it's cool that the movie gives a reason why they start interpreting actions like a horror movie protagonist would interpret them. I just thought that was clever. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You are what you pretend to be. You Indeed. Know, which is something that Indeed. Nathan Fielder has been establishing recently with his show, The Absolutely. Rehearsal on HBO. So I'm yeah. still thinking Any about what thoughts? you said though. Well, I'm thinking about Jeff and really like saying this is this generation scream. And I don't, I don't know about that because for me, scream was so, 
fundamental like it was such a fun like uh way of reshaping the way we think of slasher movies and this is a very good one of those i think it's a very great slasher movie i don't know if like we've seen other things deal with like modern youth culture uh in terms of like is it follows a slasher movie kind of kind of to me like that was like the most recent one that was like I have never seen anything like that before, but you are definitely playing with the pieces of what makes a slasher movie so much more intriguingly than anything before it. So for me, that is my milestone, but this is certainly like a movie I will never stop thinking about. I can't wait till I can watch it at home. My wife is going to enjoy watching this movie. So it's a fun horror movie. It is that rare fun horror movie, sort of like scream where if you're not into the gory stuff, then you could still enjoy this. There's still so much more going on. I agree with that. And and I'll defend Mm -hmm. my comment just slightly to say, the, the reason I, I, I frame it that way is because, you know, it, it, I think Scream is, is, is sort of saying, you know, the killer is our desire to be the, the star of our own right, fictional right. world, right? And, and Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is saying the killer is all of us. It's all of us. Mm-hmm. Every, the, someone was killed by each other person in the story you know there's all the girls kill somebody at some point or you know and it's all because of our own flaws it's each of those girls and the secrets and the lies and the toxicity is the killer and i Mm -hmm. thought that's what makes it so um so different than than anything i've seen before is that oh what it's trying to say is the killer was inside us all along. The, the real killer yeah. was the friends we made along the way. You know? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's going to bring us to the end of our review of Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. And at the end of the day, it's really impressive that director Helena Rain made a movie. All right, let's wrap it up here on the podcast this week. Uh, you can find more episodes of this show at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast.gmail.com. Our theme song comes courtesy of Tim McEwen from Varsity Blue. Check out his band, The Midnight, as well. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker and YouTuber Kyle Corwith. Uh, our weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross. This episode was edited by me, David Chen. Uh, back us at patreon.com slash film podcast. Uh, this week on The After Dark, we'll be talking about the rehearsal episode six as well as Better Call Saul's series finale. And next week, okay, so... Uh, it's a weird time at the movies right now. So we're <laughs> we're basically like doing a video on demand thing every other week these days is kind of what the schedule is. Uh, we are going to be reviewing uh, 3000 Years of Longing in September. So don't worry, like we're not going to def- like we're not going to skip that one. But next week, we're going to try something uh, brave is too strong of a word that nobody um, has ever heard of. To be yeah, honest. but definitely something that is uh, risky. I said risky. That's true. You know, <laughs> why um, risky? We're, we are going to try to review the Julius Avery film Samaritan, which yes. is going to be streaming on Prime Video in the United States. Julius Avery is the director of uh, Overlord, which was, I thought, one of the best horror films of 2018. So really fun, I, really fun. Yeah. So I'm really curious how he's going to do with a Sylvester Stallone movie. It's going to be on well, Prime Sylvester Video. Well, Sylvester Stallone believing he or who was a superhero at one point. So it's like mm. retired superhero yeah. coming back and kicking butt. Uh, could that be good. you've said makes me think it's a risky review, guys. It's awesome. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So Samaritan is going to yep. be the review next week here on the Filmcast. Um, and uh, we hope you'll join, join us. Check it out. Uh, check out the movie. Come here and uh, watch and or listen to the review at thefilmcast.com. Thanks so much for listening. See you later. <laughs>